is Sane Welcome to episode. We are in Set West Dublin this week. We're outside the training complex of Shamrock Rovers Football Club. This is our first foray into the world of sport. But the conversation you're about to hear is not about sport at all. I'm alongside Killian. How are you doing? Richie, how are you? I'm great. We're here to speak to this week's guest, Stephen Bradley. And he'll be well known to any listeners that follow football in this country. He's the 38-year-old manager of Shamrock Rovers, who just last weekend won their fourth Premier Division title in a row. And just to put that achievement into context, it's only ever been done once before. Rovers did it in the 80s. But this is the first time it's been done with the same manager in charge. So what Stephen has just achieved has never been done before in this country. It's an extraordinary achievement on its own terms, Richie, but I think it's probably made all the more so. It's definitely made all the more so by the extraordinary personal circumstances that that Stephen has been dealing with in the last 18 months or so as well. Yeah, and that's really what I'm here to speak to him about today. All the more remarkable from what he's achieved on the field is what he was having to manage off the field. Stephen and his wife, Emma, last summer they had to come to terms with receiving the news that their son, Josh, who was eight at the time, was diagnosed with leukaemia. When the news was made public, what followed was this enormous outpouring of public support from all across the football community in Ireland and beyond. Josh's treatment is still ongoing. He's actually undergoing treatment this week, so their family home is out of bounds. So that's why we're here mm. to meet with Stephen in his office in the training ground here in Tala. So I really want to find out from him just how has he managed himself through what I assume has been the mm. most challenging 18 months of all. But before we head to chat to him, I just want to say that episode is brought to you each and every week by now. As I may have subtly slipped into the conversation probably several times at this stage throughout this series, football is still a big part of my life. So if you're like me and you want to catch all the best games in the Premier League, then a now membership is definitely the way to go. Now have two sports memberships available, which means that you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and TNT Sports. And the best part of it all is it is really easy to sign up. So why not check it out straight away? There's so many really, really great games coming up. They've got Man City v Liverpool. Killian, of course. Killian is one of probably about four Luton Town fans in this country. (laughs) I assume you're still basking in the fact that she held Liverpool to a draw at the weekend in Fortress Kenilworth Road, am I right? Uh, Basking is the word, Richie. I'd be a lot happier if you weren't isolating me like that, but yeah, it's pretty great. Well, you're a rare rare bunch. (laughs) There's Newcastle v Man United coming up as well, as is Man United v Chelsea. That is just around the corner too. So whether it's for a day or a month, now as the membership for you. Right, let's go and chat to this week's guest, Stephen Bradley. Morning. How are you? Morning. Where's your office? Uh, Stephen Bradley, you're very welcome to episode. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. We're sitting here in your office in the Shamrock Rovers training ground. You're on the back of doing something no manager has done in this league before. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's uh, yeah, it's been obviously hard work to get to to get to this point, but. We've uh, the players and, and staff have have worked extremely hard. That that was our aim when we came in to to try and join that great team of the eighties and and uh, thankfully we've gone and done that. Oh, yeah. That was the aim when you came in. 
when? How far ago did you set the aim of matching what the team in the 80s did? The very first day I met Glenn Cronin in his house and I sat with Glenn and I said the club have offered me the job um, and and he said okay and I know Glenn had a couple of offers to go elsewhere at the time as a coach and I said I want to go and match the team of the 80s and this is how we're going to do it and the two of us sat down and, and discussed it and we were laughing when we looked back because we were in fifth at the time and uh, Dundalk were so dominant and, and Cork were really really strong So and you'd never managed a team before yeah never managed yeah well that never it seems really an absurd <laughs> like sitting here now it's, it's a perfectly reasonable thing because I'm sitting in front of someone who's won four titles but back then you were a 31 year old who'd never managed a team at this level and you come out with that ambition I don't know whether it was naivety or uh, it's just part of our makeup and it's it's how we're built and here's how driven we are but I uh, the, the managing of the group never really came into question for, for me it was about our plan and, and in terms of how we were going to do it on the pitch off the pitch what we needed to do both on and off the pitch to make that happen Um, we knew it was going to be hard difficult at the start because we were competing in a completely different market to them two teams um, the club and all honestly was a bit of a mess at the time we had no no place to train the club was completely split uh, on the pitch obviously wasn't good so when you look back jeez it was a it sounds like a ridiculous it thing it was a hefty plan yeah, yeah but we look that, that's, that was the plan from day one and, and we were only talking about a couple of weeks back myself and Glenn so yeah and, and look you, you obviously build and build and you need the players to the, the really good ones to, to go and do it but uh, yeah that, that was the plan at the very start This season you had won three in a row coming into this one was there extra weight of pressure was there did this did this seem more difficult than the previous ones because what was at stake It's a strange one because f- genuinely for me uh, it didn't it felt it felt like the next one it just felt okay. like the next one for me because I'd always said to Glenn when we got to this season and there was uh, the chance to do four I had a feeling around not just the club around Ireland that people thought four was the magic number and then it was like that was the end of, of, of the story and and I, I never felt like that you know I, I've, it was just the next one for me Um but I suppose for the players, it was incredible pressure on the players. Um, and I know they felt it. There's no doubt they felt it. You could see that in parts of the performance. Um, and it was a big reason why we started working with the psychologist um, on, on a weekly basis. Because uh, the players are only human. They're young. Social media is so strong in their lives. Um, they hear it everywhere they go. They see it every time they pick up the phone. I don't do that. I don't have social media. I don't see it. Um, I don't buy papers. I don't listen to podcasts. So um, I was uh, I was okay, genuinely okay. But I just felt the players, and I could feel it after the first five or six games that we were in a good place playing wise. But you could see they were they were edgy. We were getting players sent off, and when just making silly decisions that we wouldn't normally make. You know, we were being rash in the final tour, both boxes. Um, so the, the the pressure on the players this year was was incredibly. Uh, I don't think they'll ever get a season like they've had this year. Talk to me about the pressure on you. Mm. Are you genuinely sitting there saying you didn't feel pressure? I, I don't know whether it's what's happened in my life has, has helped me with that. Uh, Richie, I don't know whether my man passing 
at a young age for me and um, my dad leaving the family when I was really young um, me being in England every week when I was since I was 10 um, moving to England at 15 my son getting ill um, for me life always has been and always will be bigger than what we do on the pitch and the pressure I think that's real pressure when you watch your, your man pass and you watch her fighting for her life for a number of years that's extremely difficult to deal with and accept as a young man and How old were you at the time? Um, my mum's dead now I would have been uh, 30, 30 31 32 yeah so when she was in her when she was fighting so when you see that um. I always feel there's nothing in football or sport that can really hurt me. And and I genuinely feel that I could lose my job. Oh, it's okay, I lose my job and I'm okay, like, you know, I'll get on with it. It's, it's life. Um, I've always felt that way. Um, maybe that's why we've been so brave and bold in what we've done and how we've done it. Um, because that's always been my outlook. And I know it's when you look around the staff, they have their own personal stories as well. That, mm-hmm. and I think we that's why we all gelled so well and all got on so well, and all are aligned in our thinking. So, um, was the pressure? Of course, there was pressure on me, but I never. If we had a walk away from this year after winning three and, and finishing third or fourth this year, we still go down in history as one of the best teams to do it. I was okay with that. I wanted more for the players. I still want more. But it wasn't a pressure as we have to do it. It was more let's let's try and enjoy this moment. Like we we never get this moment again. We never get these moments again of of the of the hurt, the pain, the heartache, the joy um that football season brings you. So let's try and enjoy it. So I genuinely didn't feel pressure. Um and I think it's because of what's happened in my life that that I can feel like that. You said your dad left when you were young. Mm. Do you have a relationship with him now? No, no. I, my dad left when when uh, I was nine, um, left the family home. So it was just my mum who brought up three boys in, in Jobstown, which is, um, we had obviously, we had very little, but to us we had everything, you know, um, which I, I think shows how special she was and what she gave us. So no, no relationship with, with my dad. My peace with that I have been for a long time. And was there a time when you did want one? Yeah, yeah. I think that's only natural. Yeah. I think that's only a natural thing to want as a father figure in your life. And but as time went went on, um, you learn to stand your own two feet and you make decisions, good and bad. And then as you get older, you, you start to understand what happened, why it happened. And, and like I said, I'm at peace with that. I, I've zero time for that man I, I, really yeah I wouldn't there's no emotion there from no feeling I, I, he's not a man of my eyes really really mm. you feel that strongly yeah I think to do what he did and how he did it as a coward like you know um, yeah and that's that's the way I feel about you're a father now mm. last summer I'm new to parenthood I'm I'm in the first year of fatherhood myself, but last summer you received news which I assume has got like a, a worst case scenario for so many parents. You received the diagnosis of leukemia to Josh, who was eight at the time. Before I ask you what that was like and how things have been since, tell me about Josh. What kind of a lad is he? 
Uh, he's an incredible, incredible young man. You know, he's he's uh, really, really witty, really smart, funny. A typical nine-year-old kid wants to be out playing. And what I've learned about him the last year is how strong he is. You know, he's an incredibly strong boy that uh, puts us adults to shame in terms of how he deals with what he's going through. He's, yeah, incredible when you're in the hospital with him and, and he's getting his treatment and you know he's in pain and it's hurting. And he uh, he always has a smile fit and just gets on with it, like, you know. And when I say I didn't feel pressure, that's the reason why. I remember we'd, this year we go and play games and on a, on a Monday night and the next morning we're in, we're in Crumlin getting chemo at 7 o'clock in the morning. And whether we've won, lost or drawn, I'm looking thinking, it's irrelevant. This is what's really important. And he's sitting there smiling. He's, he gets a little procedure done every few months that is really painful and really, yeah, it's not nice. And, and he just deals with it. He just, he just gets on with it. Like I said, incredibly strong, resilient, brave. And, um, yeah, he's... He's someone that gives me incredible uh, strength and he's an inspiration to me, really. When did you first start to realise there was an issue with him? We were over watching Josh train for his local team and, and he, he took a shot on goal in training and he pulled up very sharply with his back and his knee and, and I'd watched it and seen it and, and the coach brought him over. He was crying and it's very unlike a kid to just get on with it. And, uh, the coach said, I think he's at the holding his back there shooting. So we took him home and for a few days. And, and again, he wouldn't go playing. He wouldn't get up off the chair. Which was very unlike him. Very unlike him. Yeah. He's always out playing. He's not one of these that sits in on his computer all day. He's always out. And, um, so I brought him to the club doctor here. And, and uh, he had a look at him and, and, and said a couple of number of things. But at the end of the conversation, he said, uh, the most extreme thing I can think of would be cancer. But he said that's a million miles away, and and, and said a real flippantly in passing, and, and so flippant that you dismissed it yourself. No, and this is the thing I didn't. Okay, um, because when someone I've been through with my mum, and uh, so I know when people are trying to uh, subtly tell you that there could be a problem here, but I never told my wife this, and went home and and we gave him some exercise to do, and we we're doing the exercises and. Uh, this over a period of a few days and Josh wasn't getting any better so I brought him back in and again the doctor checked him and, and said uh, we were due to go on holiday for a few days and he and he said uh, go on holidays and uh, if there's still a problem when he comes back we'll get him checked but again it mentioned uh, cancer at the end of it and uh, we're on holidays and literally the, Josh didn't move off off the bed at the side of the pool kids are in playing didn't move and it was at that point I knew there was something wrong, like you know. So we came home, we uh, we got him down to Tala Hospital to get his blood done, and within an hour they rang and said you need to get to Crumlin. Um, we were in Crumlin Hospital for a couple of days while they ran all tests. Um, at this point, had your wife been told that cancer is no, one of the we, options? Uh, yeah, at that point we'd we'd uh, had a conversation. And I didn't tell her that was it was one of the options, but I told her the doctor had mentioned it a couple of times, and because my wife's incredibly strong, and and and, uh, and you're trying to protect her, and, and 
obviously protect the family at that moment in time. Um, Did you tell anyone else it could be that? No. So no. you walking around carrying yeah. this possibility on your own, you didn't even say to your wife? No, no, I didn't because I didn't, I didn't want people speaking as if I was that when I didn't know I was that. Okay. Um, and I didn't want my wife going through uh, that period of, it was over a two week period thinking it was that like you know so um, you're hoping where everything inside you that it's not that and it's something um, something else a sprain a strain he's pulled the back muscle whatever um, but then my wife we were in they took Josh in into Crumlin Hospital and we were in the room and we were staying overnight we were taking turns and my wife and Tom and, and the main doctor came in and I knew straight away then she, she said to me yeah uh, when will your wife be back? I said, she'll be back in an hour. She's going home to have a shower and, and get changed. Okay, and, right. I said, oh, we'll sit down and have a cup of tea. And I knew that was, that's because she wanted everyone there. And so me and my wife sat down and, and um, yeah, she told us that, look, it's, it's, um, yeah. So that was, uh, you're getting emotional mm, even talking about it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, take your time. Yeah, that was extremely difficult, yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to place myself in that room alongside my wife getting told news by that doctor about our son and I, I, I wouldn't be able to put into words what that would feel like. Yeah, look, um, when I was said, obviously, myself and my wife were obviously devastated your world completely flips and changes and and uh, I don't know what it was inside me at that moment in time my wife is obviously really upset and crying but straight away I asked the doctor well, how are we going to make it better how are we going to what's the plan what's the I don't know it was, it was my way of dealing with it, obviously in terms of I wanted to know the next step I wanted to know well, how are we going to get through this and and rather than think why, why has it happened and be angry about it um, because that's the nat natural reaction I, I wanted to know and understand first of all can he get better and, and if he can how can he be get better and and um, the doctor turned around and said something that um, we would always speak about and, and has lived with me to this day and she said right now it's your world is upside down she said but Monday morning when we start this treatment that's that's the best day and um, it must have been the look on her face the way we were looking at her and she said because he's, that's the road to him getting better um, wow and she was right and she just said you have to you have to you have to break it down to to the moment to the hour to the minute because Josh's treatment was so intense uh, 60 days of really really intense treatment chemo steroids that you, you can't look we had the plan in front of us and she said you can't look at day 5, 6, 10, 20 you have to look at day 1 uh, and just deal with day 1 and then when that's over deal with day 2 and um, and that's what we did we, we just went into survival mode and thought right this is what we have to do to get through this for Josh 
we went in the room and, and Josh had seen that both of us had been upset and crying and and my wife when she looked at Josh started crying and and uh my wife said, Look, it's me hay fever, Josh, but he's a clever boy and only weeks later when we were lying in the hospital with him he said that he knew it was it was uh, leukemia because the doctor had mentioned it in front of him at the very start and he said I knew it was that. Did he know what that was at the time when he first heard that word? I don't think he knew um, exactly what it was. Um, what really helped was when when we went home uh, a few weeks later that his brother and sister were, were speaking about it. Um, and I mentioned the word leukemia and cancer was mentioned and, and we, me, myself and my wife could hear the three of them speak about it in the room and and it was incredible to hear them conversations and, and um, listen to the three kids having a conversation about that, you know. So I think that's when the reality hit Josh that he was going to lose his hair and he was uh, he was obviously really sick, but it was probably the best way I could have I could have came out or he could have learned really about through his, his brother and his sister because it was, a, it was a completely innocent conversation, but it was the reality of the situation we were in. I remember being in, in St John's Ward in Cromwell and we had a room and he was in isolation for quite some time while he was getting his heavy treatment and in, in St John's Ward you're looking out onto a garden that is just for the kids in St John's and there's a lot of kids out playing there and they had uh, baldy heads because obviously the treatment had they were at a different stage so Josh he still had his hair at this point and I remember him turning around to to myself and saying, "Oh, there's another kid with no hair, and there's another," and he didn't understand that that was 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 in front of him. Over time, we obviously had to tell him, and and uh, he How was did actually he react to things like he that? was really upset over that. It really got to him, and it wasn't until he went through the whole process then of losing his hair, and we all shaved our heads for him, and and he and he had a, a, a he put on a brave face and got through it, and 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 was making jokes about it, and. <laughs> But it was only when I brought him to get his first haircut sometime later, months and months later. And um, we came out of here, uh, the hairdressers, and jo- Josh is in the back of the car. And, and I said to him, I was so happy that he was able to go and get a haircut, a, a little thing like that. And, and he said to me, he said to me, I'm so happy that um, I have my hair back because I don't have to wear a hat and I don't feel scared anymore. So that was hard, yeah. Really, mm. that's what he said to you. Mm. So that was that was something that I thought I didn't understand the impact that it had on him. I didn't understand um, the fear that he had of wanting to wear that hat all the time. That was his blanket. That was his security. Um, but because he was making the jokes and 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 basically getting on with his life and. And putting on the brave face underneath it all, he was really, really scared and um, afraid that he, he, he hadn't, he had no hair basically, you know, and, and he was different. Um, in his eyes, he was different. So when he said them words, it was, it was incredibly powerful to me and yeah, it really took me back, like, you know. I know you said the doctor's advice was to take things one day at a time. But emotionally, how were you at this stage? Um, I, I'm again. I don't know whether it's because of what's happened to me in my life that I, I've spoken to people and and I'm seeing, uh, 
a psychologist that I see quite regular on a weekly basis, and that that definitely helped me. And 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 speaking about my feelings, what I was feeling, why I was feeling that way, and and trying to make sense of it all, like you know. Um, so that definitely helped me. And and then I think I don't know if it's just me or if it's any any parents' normal reaction was right. Well, I need to be strong for for the for the family and for for the kids and that was my initial reaction that it's about now I need to protect them like you know I need to I need to be strong for them I'd have my moments of course just, I'd spend hours on end down at my mum's graveside talking to her and, and, and crying and being being open to her and yeah just telling her everything and, and I think that that helped me as well the news went public then. You, you, I think you missed the game up in Oriel Park in Dundalk. And the following week, a couple of days before the Bows game, I think you said it was on account of your son's illness. What were the factors in deciding whether or not you would talk about this public? Uh, there, was a, there was a few things and um, that came into the thought process when we were coming to that decision. But the main thing was I wanted the players to to understand where I was and in my life I think if it's very important uh, the group of people I work with that we trust each other that we're open with each other that we have a relationship that we can talk not just about football about everything and I didn't want to hide it from them I wanted them to understand because if I was a little bit off or um, I wanted them to understand the reasons for it um, and we had that discussion at home and, and I felt it was only right that the players were fully aware of what was going on and if you tell the players it's really important that other people uh, know about it and the reason for that is because I felt I'm in a privileged position that um, it's in the public eye people get to hear about uh, what I do and how I do and I felt if, if I could speak about this and help one person around the country or one family one father one mother one son daughter wherever it may be talk about it or, or help them in any way whatsoever that means them ringing me emailing me texting me writing letters meeting them for a coffee wherever it is will then it be worth it because when you're in Crumlin Hospital and you're in St John's Ward you see the realities of of what people everyone hears about cancer but when you're in it you you really see the realities of it and you see we're lucky that we live 15 minutes away from Cromwell Hospital there's families that both parents have to give up work and have to move up to Dublin and try and rent a place and we honour how hard that is um, someone will have to live in in, in uh, Hospital with their kids for months on end um, while that's happening they're worried about how they pay bills and pay mortgages and and keep the rest of the family going. That's the reality of people living with cancer and and kids. And when you're talking to these people down there in the evening, you're having a cup of tea or toast in the in the parents' room, and you're talking to them. I I thought we were actually lucky in terms of where we were in our in our life and how close we were to Crumlin Hospital. And so that was a big part of why I spoke out and allowed the public in because. I need to be able to help these people in some way shape or form and, and uh, by me speaking I thought that was a way to help them 
What's your memories of that game against Bohemians here in Tallah Stadium? Um, I was working as a pundit that night. The game was televised. That was the first game where everyone in the stadium knew the situation with Josh. I was really nervous about it because you're, you're never you're never quite sure how you're going to be mm. until you're there in that situation. Um, but I felt so incredibly proud of of uh, of Warriors football of people in that stadium that night you know of, of everyone in that stadium they were so respectful so supportive of Josh of me of the family um, yeah just so emotional I felt so um, how do you put it I just felt so support which is which is uh which was incredible you know and and to hear them seeing Josh's name and uh for Josh to hear that at that moment in time was special you know mm. there were scenes after the game just to the left of the television studio I was in you were standing in front of the south stand they were singing your name and you're kind of punching your chest but it looked like you had your hand on your heart it just seemed like a moment that was way more profound than just fans appreciating a manager after winning a big game it just felt this really special moment yeah it wasn't about the game for me it no. wasn't about the result for me um, and even to this day I would I would do that to the fans and it's not about the result of the game it's about a thank you for supporting me when I needed it and and I think that was that's what that was it was, a, it, was a, it was a thank you they understood that every person that ground understood that life is bigger than football and, and I, I knew Josh would be watching that because we'd spoken about it I knew he was in the hospital I, I went straight to come to the hospital after that game and stayed tonight and for me to go into that room and him to be able to put some on his face and, and talk about that moment that's powerful what was he saying about the moment he's just saying I heard them sing my name and wow and he was so happy when he was saying that so like I said for me to go back to Crumlin Hospital after a, a big emotional game like a, a Dublin Derby Bells Rovers but for to walk into that room and for him to to say he's watched that game and like I said to be smiling and the result never even came into it was more about did you hear them sing my name <laughs> and that's all we spoke about for the next few hours and that, that gave him a few hours of peace and a few hours of taking his mind off what he was actually going through taking him away from lying in that bed with, with everything hoped up to him it took him away from that and that's that's an incredible thing within a couple of months he won the title um, and Josh was front and centre of the celebrations and the trophy presentation how did those decisions come about? Um, just because I, I'd, I'd spoke to the players and like I said I'd, I'd, I'd made the decision at the very start that I wanted the players to be part of this journey um, and I had to be careful with that because it was so emotional it was so it was so um, it could be so draining on them so I had to be very careful with that but I made the decision 
and I remember telling the players a story before a game. Um, Josh was going out to get an operation and I was carrying him down, knowing that he was going to be going in for a, a big operation. As I was carrying him down and as he was going to sleep, he said to me, uh, do we get to lift the trophy on Friday if we win? And again, I thought, he's just about to go in and have a major operation here. And that's all that's on his mind. And and that's that's all he's thinking about, is will we get to lift the trophy on Friday and can he be there? And at the, that moment in time, we didn't know whether he was going to be well enough to be there. Um, so I said to the players before the game that I truly believe this is bigger than us, you know. This is this is something that is bigger than all of us. And I, I told him the story of Josh and it probably wasn't the right thing to say because a few of us were emotional in the dressing room and, and we went out, I think we were one behind very quickly. And I was thinking, um, maybe I shouldn't have said that when I said it, but I, again, I felt I wanted to be open with the players and allow them in. And, and I asked them to give us that night, like give Josh that night, because I knew what it meant to him. And for me, it'd take his mind off what he was going through. And, and, and the players were incredible, stepped up, did what they did. And, and once we won it, to be fair to the league, they reached out and asked could, if Josh is well enough, could we have him part of the celebrations? Because it being so public and, and everyone had heard about it. And when I told Josh that that was the plan, Honestly, his face lit up. And, and again, all them little moments, Richie, are, are so important because you're going through an incredibly hard time. All them little moments gave him real peace like and real happiness and, and took his mind off. It took the pain away for for that half hour or that 10 minutes or that hour. And I, 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 can't, I can't thank people enough for, for that, like, you know. It was... One of the most moving images. Like I remember Ronan Finn, the club captain, was handed the trophy. He walked over, Josh was standing in front of all the players and like the trophy's massive compared to the size of Josh. And 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 Ronan helped Josh lift it. And you were standing there just punching the air next to him. Like I was I can't have been the only one who was yeah. in bits watching it. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a special moment and I still look at it now. Um, and like I said, that that moment you wouldn't believe that Josh had only got out of hospital that day, and and um, I don't think there's anything else that he could have done that night or that day. You know, I think normally he's back to bed and and it's more treatment, and there was nothing stopping him getting to the the ground that night. And when you see them pictures, his face is just complete joy and for that moment he's not sick like you know so um, it's it was incredibly powerful and, and uh, I felt so emotional looking at it the players were unbelievable with him that night they really took care of him I think they understood what it meant to him and what it meant to me and and um, yeah it's a moment that will live with me forever because within moments of him lifting the trophy, you had him up on your shoulder, I remember. Um, and the joy in your face as well. Yeah, but again, goes back to what we've been going through and and, and the hurt and the, the pain that we'd seen him in for quite some time. 
and any family going through what we're going through will know all about a steroid week it's called and when yeah. you're getting your chemo and steroid week it's really really difficult for the kids and Josh was in that moment and so to be able to hold him up and as if he was the trophy um, <laughs> was was uh, was special I almost don't want to bring this up because I, I go along with what you said. The general overwhelming response from the football community in this country was was incredible. Um, but you did have one experience earlier this year where you came out of a ground down in Cork and you heard stuff that you really didn't want to hear. T- tell us about that. For, first of all and, and I genuinely mean it the support I've had from around the country from all sectors not just football has been incredible from every club in the country whether you're so-called rivals or not they've all been in contact and so the support in the main has been incredible and I said to you earlier on there's nothing in football that could uh, could hurt me well that, that hurt me that night like you know that really hurt me that night Um they were saying something about Josh or your family or you. Yeah, they were talking yeah. about Josh's treatment and, and basically saying we, we hope it hasn't got it's not going well and, and laughing at him. Jesus. And and, uh, and these aren't fifteen year old kids and even at that it's not right and they need to be educated, but these are grown men and and uh, to be fair to the people in Cork and there's a the security and the staff working there, they acted really quickly, the guardie were brilliant and still are it's 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 still um, still ongoing the case but I just that night um, what was the drive home like? yeah the most difficult I've had because it really made me think of I was thinking on the way home can I step away here and 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 that's maybe what I need to do because and the reason for that was because if I'm not in that situation if I'm not in that ground well then that abuse is not aimed at Josh and, and the only thing I could think of was take myself out of that situation and them environments but when I sat down a few days later and, and spoke and looked at it and you're only letting the bullies win if you do that and you're letting them sort of people think that you're making them feel powerful mm-hmm. you're making them feel empowered by what they said and and, and I wasn't going to do that Um I just, yeah, I felt really disappointed. Obviously, I was disgusted. Thought it was, it was the lowest of the low. Um, these people are so uneducated in what they're speaking about. You spend a day in Crumlin Hospital, St John's Ward. It'll change your whole outlook on life and how you see things. Um, and for them to think that was acceptable, I just. Yeah, I was really hurt. I was angry. Um, had every emotion on really. Um, yeah, and I just when it when it all settled, I was just sad thinking, is that where we are, society? Is that mm. do we think that that's okay to say things like that? If I was walking down the street and I heard someone speak like that, I checked them on it, you know. I just thought we can't think that's acceptable to speak like that about anybody especially a sick kid Mm. that is innocent and if they want to hammer me and call me all the names going that comes with the territory 
you take that on the chin, you get on with it. It's football. But to, to, to go for a sick kid and his treatment, for me, is the lowest of the low. And, um, yeah, disgusting people. That instinct to protect Josh by stepping away from your role, did, did you discuss that option with other people at the time? Yeah, I discussed it obviously with my family and then with my psychologist as well. And, mm. and, uh, and, and my advisor and one or two people around me that would really trust. And, and, and I'd have a mentor as well that I'd really trust. And, and I think when I had all them conversations, the outcome was, was the same that you can't allow these people to win, like, you know. And it's the right. It was the right call to stay, but just at that moment when it happened, I just felt, how can I protect them? Mm. The only way I can protect them is step out of this environment. Um, but thankfully, I didn't, um, because, like I said, that's what bullies want, isn't it? They want to, they want to see that they've supposedly won, and and uh, and that hasn't happened, so. Yeah, it was the right call. You got a lot of public support after that story went public, didn't you? Incredible support, really incredible. The people of Cork, the 99% of people of Cork were incredible. Um, like I said, people from all over the country, um, from fans of Finn Harps to politicians, people in England, managers in England, all, all over, people from Australia sending letters. Um, really? Yeah, I suppose really? he was on the news in Australia. I obviously didn't know. Uh, sending letters of support and then people sending stories of, of loved ones they've had, uh, leukemia and cancer when the kids are young and, and they're thriving now. So the, the support was actually unbelievable and I'm still getting it to this day. Only obviously last week we win the league and you're getting letters from from fans of other clubs uh, congratulating and, and talking about Josh and wishing him well and hoping treatment's going well and we say a prayer from we light a candle we've been to Lourdes and that's from people of all walks of life up and down the country so the support has genuinely been you get emotional when you're opening these letters and these emails and you're reading them people genuinely care like you know and I don't think people understand how much things like that help you. I, I promoted, me and Josh helped promote uh, Relay for Life this year for mm. the Cancer Society of Ireland. And it's about people coming together and people talking, celebrating lives, people who have passed, people who are still here and have got through it. Um, and all them little moments, people don't understand the, the, the strength it gives you at that moment in time. Um, management's a lonely place. And to have that support from, like I said, rival fans that would normally be shouting dogs abuse at you on a Friday night and probably still are which is which is <laughs> oh, fine. still are yeah, yeah. Uh, they probably sent a letter on a Wednesday but on Friday they're giving you abuse <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's such a nice thing that they have that passion about their club and that love for the club which is brilliant but they understand the human aspect of it and, and uh, the support they've shown has been incredible like genuine from the bottom of my heart can't thank them enough it's 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 been absolutely overwhelming the sport we've had 
And by the sound of it, you, you, you've accessed a lot of you've accessed a lot of support yourself. You've mentioned your psychologist, you've a mentor, you've a wife, and you've colleagues here at the club that you, you, you think a lot of. Um, how's Josh doing now? What's ahead in terms of the treatment? He's doing really well now. Again, families that are, are going through what what we're going through, or have been through, it, totally understand. It's called steroid week, mm. and, and it means that we could get a heavy dose of chemo, and then you get your heavy dose of steroids for the week, and, and it really takes its toll on on the kids. It really plays with their their moods, their emotions, their eating habits, their sleeping habits. It's a really difficult week. So when he's in that period, it's difficult like every other kid. But when he's not in that period, he's uh, he's just like any any other kid now. He's back playing football. He's back in school. He's back playing GAA. He's doing. He's just being a happy nine-year-old kid. And what I love about him with the kids is, they just see Josh like they don't see an illness. They don't see anything. They don't treat him any differently, um, which is brilliant to see. Um, so he's doing, he's doing incredibly well. We have another year and a half of the treatment plan to go, but it's right now everything's going in the right direction, and that's all we can hope for and and got a wish for. They've given us permission to go on holiday this year, which is brilliant. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. And there's little things like to show you how far he's come. Does it? Does a kid that plays for Josh's team and he's just been diagnosed with? with uh, leukaemia three weeks back yeah and he's in hospital at the moment and um, he's going through a really intense period at the moment he's in isolation but him and Josh speak every night on the Playstation and it's incredible when you're listening on the conversations that Josh a nine year old boy is talking to another another nine year old boy about uh, leukaemia and he's asking him how he feels and is he in is he on this type of steroid? Is he on how's his bloods? And they're having these conversations as if they're two little doctors, and, and wow. it's incredible that he can relate to him. And, and then he come into me and he'd say, uh, "I don't want to say the kid's yeah. name, but he's he's doing." I'd ask him how he is, and he said, "Look, he's doing well." And he said he's just gone through that that stage on the steroids now, and and it's amazing that they can have that conversation now, and, and Josh can have that. And, and he'd laugh about it. He'd say, "Remember, I was there, and I used to tell you to f off or whatever." And and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's incredible that two kids can can have that conversation. And Josh is strong enough to have that conversation. So I think that shows where he is. We've always been very open with him, and when he's ready to talk, we talk. Uh, when he's ready to cry, he'll cry. Wherever he's feeling, we 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 allow that emotion to happen. And now. He's he's able to have conversations with another kid his own age, going through the same thing, which is which is powerful. Looking at you from a distance over the last couple of years, like I I knew you were going through this. I didn't know anything about the detail, um, and I thought our conversation this morning would be a lot about you know the pressures of managing rovers, the expectation and the scrutiny of getting to the four in a row, but. When you talk about what your personal life has been like and your family life has been like for the last year and a half, um, it, it, it's it's an extraordinary listen. Like when you lay it out the way you do, you have a family holiday coming up. When is that happening? 
uh, December, yeah, we have we have a, a bit of, a bit of work to get done now. We we the staff we had a meeting yesterday about reviewing the season and yeah, are you off? When, when is your time off? <laughs> yeah, that'll be it in December. Now it's about talking to players who'll be leaving, players that we will be signing, uh, laying down plans for next season, understanding what happened this season, um, understanding where we can get better, how we're going to get better. Um, and we always ask the question, what would another manager do if he got the job tomorrow? What would he change to make this place better? And, and we always ask that question. And uh, we went through that process yesterday. Um, so the next few weeks will be really busy in terms of meetings, phone calls, uh, planning, reviewing, and then December, go away and switch the phone off for a couple of weeks and yeah, forget about everything football related. There's a big smile in your face when you say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, because it's it is a, a it's an intense job. I'm well used to it now. I understand it. Uh, but the, what I've learned is when the time comes to, to switch off, you have to do it because when you're back, you're back. And this group of players, uh, they need to be challenged, pushed every day. And, and for us, in order for us to do that, we need to be in a really good place in our head. So um, it's really important when you can switch off, you switch off. And when it's time to come back and work, we come back and work. Um. I don't know how many people outside of Tala are rooting for you to do five in a row, but I assume everyone listening to this is is really rooting for Josh and for you and for the next year and a half of treatment. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Stephen Badley, wish you well. No problem. Thanks very much. Right. Thanks again, Roy. Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. This way? This way. This way, yeah. Where's the way out? Is this way? Way out, that way. Thank you. Well, I took two of us to work it out. Two There really was a lot of emotion in the room there throughout that conversation. You probably heard Stephen's emotions at one point. There was a couple of occasions there where I found it really, really moving to hear him talk in the way that he did about some of the details about not just what Josh was going through but some of the things that Josh said but also to hear Stephen talk so openly about the impact it was having on him Yeah and I think you will have heard players playing in the background there in the training facility and that mm-hmm. kind of really magnified the fact that in the midst of all this turmoil as Stephen himself said you know he's getting up every morning and managing a team full time day in day out which is you know extraordinary yeah so huge huge thanks to Stephen for sharing his story in that way so openly so movingly it was really really impactful before we go just to remind you that episode is brought to you by now we're honestly really really happy to have him on board because as I mentioned earlier in the show there's some brilliant games coming up in the Premier League they've got coverage of Man City v Liverpool Newcastle v Man U and Man U v Chelsea and it's not just football the Champions Cup is kicking off again in a couple of weeks and right off the bat you'll get to see a repeat of last year's final when Leinster play La Rochelle on the opening weekend so if that sounds up your street then you can stream it all with a now sports membership Okay, we'll end it there for this week. I want to say a thanks again, a huge thanks to Stephen Bradley for sharing his story in the way that he did. Thanks to you too, Killian. Thank you, Richie. And just a reminder, you can get in touch with us, episode at secondcaptains.com. Thanks for the email so far. So we do want to hear your thoughts on the show and your suggestions for future guests. Episode is a Second Captains podcast and it's part of the ACAS Creator Network. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.
was that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain. Second captain, first captain, whatever. <laughs>